Hey, it's Misty and Liz. We're two women who don't know shit about literature, but we love to hang out and talk about the books we've read. And everything else on our minds. So get cozy, grab a drink, and let's get started. I think this is our 12th episode. Um, I think we should do something special for 20. What do you want to do? I don't know. It's Friday. This is really weird recording on a Friday. What do you think? This is really weird recording from my bedroom. But look, it's Friday night. We've got daiquiris. We had pizza. That's right. You're cuddling with a puppy. I'm cuddling with puppy. Yes. Well, sounds really good. It's not bad. We should have just bad. done some shots first. Oh, but also, I've never recorded an episode drunk before. And that sounds like I already kind of sound like I slur a little bit. I think that if we recorded an episode drunk, it would. Well, I don't know. We could be really funny when we're drunk. I don't know. I feel like we're funny sober, so I can't imagine us as drunk. So I've got a Three Musketeers daiquiri, and it's really good. What are you drinking? I have a, what is it, a pina colada pineapple? It's a pina colada with... And it's got like pineapple gummies or something yes, in it? Yes, pineapple gummies in it. So there's this local Clear. daiquiri place around here, and they do daiquiris, but they do them... Well, they had this one, they had, didn't they have one with screwball in it? That's what got us started going there. They had the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup screwball one. They had, I don't know if they still have it, but not that long ago, they had a um, Bloody Mary with beefaroni in it. Ew, a daiquiri? Yeah, a can of like Chef Boyardee beefaroni in it. Okay, that sounds disgusting. Sounds like dog food. I don't like it. people ate it. But they also have a daiquiri that's got little pieces of of pink Starburst in it. Uh Uh-huh. And their straws, they've got those fat bubble tea straws that your little chunks of candy can come up through the straw. They have a white Russian that has Kit Kats in it. Where's your screwball? We don't have any more. What? shot at all. (laughs) All right. What you got? What's going on this week for you? Oh, cheer. Cheers. Getting in, in full effect. So there goes my weekends. We finished The Haunting of Bly Manor. Okay. Did you finish it? No, you did not finish I, I, no, it, No, I think you? I watched, like, two episodes of it. Okay, so it was really scary. Like, scary. like there was jump scares, and there was, like, these crazy monsters with no faces in it during the whole thing. And then the second to last episode, they kind of explained what was happening, and then you're just like, oh, that's not scary at all. <laughs> it's kind of stupid. <laughs> all right it was entertaining so but but i wouldn't say like good yeah 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 that sucks because I, I started watching it thinking it was going to be like haunting a, a hill house mm-hmm. and it's not and so i was like nah nope right so then my husband turned on squid games and i was kind of i was reading uh seven husbands of evelyn mm-hmm. hugo and since it's not in english it was really easy to ignore and every time I looked up, it was like this crazy music, this man getting slapped. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going on. And then they started playing the red light, green light, and everyone started getting shot. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, you so- Like, it's that's very gruesome. And it I'm is. very behind. I know everybody else has already watched this show and is done with it. And I'm just starting it. Actually, I'm not even starting it. I watched two seconds of it. Well, my husband, I watched it first. And so I told my husband to watch it. And he watched it, but he made the mistake of watching the first episode dubbed. And Mm -hmm. I said, no, you have to watch it in Korean with English subtitles. It makes all the difference because you get the inflections of their voice, of their real voice, and it changes things. I read an article where this girl said that she was Korean-American and she spoke both Mm -hmm. Korean and English. And she said that 
the dubbed or the subtitles, one of them, they weren't all the way right, and it did kind of change how it was. So did I don't you, know. I can't remember any of it now. I don't know. It just kind of changed a little bit of the meaning of it. Oh. I can't imagine it was that drastic, but yeah. she gave a couple examples, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. No, I, I really liked it. I thought it was, it was like Black Mirror to me. And there was this other show on Netflix, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was like Korean, maybe. Was it scary? No. I feel like all the Korean shows that I see are scary. This wasn't scary. This was like Squid Game, but it was not as violent, but it was like, you had to watch it with, with closed captioning on, and it was just weird. Just weird. I forgot the name of it. But anyway, it was it was really, and it wasn't that long ago. But um, it, I I liked it because good sense of humor, very uh, dark comedy, kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. So I liked I liked it. Squid Game is very fucked up. Hmm. I don't know if I'll watch anymore. I told my husband I wasn't like invested, so he could watch them without me if he wanted to. Do you make your bed every day? Every single day. Why? You don't? No. I pull my okay. So we don't sleep with a top sheet. Are we recording? Yeah. Okay. We don't sleep with a top sheet. It's just like, no. a, I know, isn't that gross? That's disgusting. I feel like it makes our duvet cover really dirty, mm-hmm. but I'm, t- I'm, I'm over fighting with the husband and the kids about the top sheet because I need my, I need them to be a certain way and mm-hmm. they always push the top sheet down so I have to pull it up and they're not like together anymore. Right. So I just took it off. Okay. Because that's how, it, that's what everybody wanted. Everybody's bed. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> not what you want. So I took the top sheet off. So every morning I wake up and I pull it up so that the mm-hmm. dog doesn't get in the bed and get my sheets dirty on the inside of my bed. Uh-huh. But I don't necessarily make it. Like, I kind of pull it up over the pillows. But yours is, like, beautifully made. That's how I make it every day. Because I just I feel better if it's made. If I don't do anything else. I'm eating pizza, by the way. If I don't eat, do anything else, I made the bed. That's what, that's like one of those rules for accomplished people. Mm-hmm. It's like number one rule, get up and make the bed. That way you've scratched something off mm-hmm. your to-do list within the first five minutes of waking up. Well, and every, when I walk through here during the day, I don't feel like things are in disarray. You know, I probably need to sweep and mop and all that, but my bed's made up. And Your daiquiri is like way over there. You should I'm drink that. Go get it. I've almost finished mine. Also, I have this really weird fear. It's not even a fear. It's just thought that if the bed's not made during the day, that like dust and stuff is going to fall in it throughout the day. And I'm actually protecting my sheet. Mm. Is that weird? Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, because isn't dust like dead skin cells and like that happens while you're sleeping? You're shedding yeah, I know, skin but cells? It's just like, I'm just, it's. So you're literally like dusting your bed while you sleep, Amelia Bedelia. Um, yeah, that's true. But my bed's made, and <laughs> it looks nice. It, it makes it you makes know what me feel good. Like sure. if my house is messy, my brain is messy, and if my house is clean, then I'm like, <sighs> that's why I make the bed. I've mm. found that there's just little things that I can do that kind of make me feel. A little bit better. It's like getting up, getting dressed, putting on makeup. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes just like putting on an outfit and putting on makeup just makes you feel nicer, even if you're not going anywhere. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I have this routine now with getting the kids on the bus stuff, and I make the bed while my son is waiting for his bus to pass by. And so I'm getting dressed. And even though I work from home and like I usually wear like sweatshirts and like shorts or something, I'm putting on something clean and I'm putting on something that's not pajamas mm-hmm. and wash my face and all that and make the bed and by 6 30 i feel like i have my shit together all right good yeah <sighs> okay this book is a lot yeah all right let me tell you about oh 
By the way, this week we're doing On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vong. Let me tell you about Ocean Vong. Yeah, tell me about this guy. Okay, he must be pretty secretive because the only source that I could find that had any information about his actual personal life was Wikipedia. Oh. And we're not quite sure if we trust them. I guess we're trusting them. I know you can't use it in, as, as like a, a citation. Listen, this daiquiri is like hitting me hard <laughs> oh all of a sudden. We got to hurry this up before it trains, the, <clears throat> the trains fall off the wheels. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so your daiquiri's hitting you too? <laughs> <laughs> the wheels are falling off. Trains don't have wheels. Yeah, they do. They do? And they just like hook to the track. Those metal things? Those are wheels? <laughs> are they round? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So... It says that his Wikipedia says that his grandmother and grandfather had three children, but his grandfather left. I think his grandfather was a white man. His grandmother is Vietnamese. Like in the book. But then shortly after the war was over, his grandfather left and his grandmother was scared about the lives of the children. So she put all the children to different orphanages and they weren't actually reunited until they were adults. Can you imagine? Insane. Heartbreaking. Yeah, that's... That's horrible. So Ocean Vong was actually born in Saigon, but uh, they had to flee from Vietnam after the local police suspected that his mother was not 100% Vietnamese. I think she must have been half white and half Vietnamese. But again, this is Wikipedia, so I'm not sure how much of this I'm believing. Anyway, they ended up in Hartford, Connecticut with relatives. His father left shortly afterwards. He... Ended up growing up. He got his bachelor's from Brooklyn College studying English Lit. And then he received his master's of fine arts and poetry from NYU. That's fantastic. So this little boy from Saigon got his master's of fine arts from NYU, which I find amazing. Yeah, it's definitely living the American dream. So he's won 14 awards since two... 14 awards. (laughs) (laughs) He's won 14 awards since 2010. And one more fact that I found about him I thought was really cool was that in August of 2020, Vong was actually chosen as the seventh writer to contribute to this thing called the Future Library Project. And this is going to compile original works by writers each year from 2014 to 2114, and this will remain unread until it is completed in 2114. So it's going to be a hundred years of work. So like each year they're going to they're going to pick one person to feature a hundred works from someone, and then in 2114, after we're all dead and buried, this is going to come out, and people are going to get to read it. Well, that's isn't that so cool that's That's, cool but like i'm jealous i thought that was just like a really smart idea i think it's really awesome i I it's like a time capsule for sure but then um, to think that we'll never read it it's very sad it is kind of sad i think he oh i didn't want to say what i think he said because i don't remember anymore i just finished my daiquiri by the way oh god here we go this book on earth we're briefly gorgeous was his first novel, but I definitely wouldn't call it that. A few of his poems were in the book, like A Letter mm-hmm. to Ma, Trevor. Those were previous poems that were in this book. And I even, I'm going to sound really stupid for a second. For a second? I, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. I thought this book was a memoir, like 
You did? Well after I finished it. What? Like, I went so far into life thinking this was a memoir to the point where, like, even my kids were like, Mom, it says it's a novel on the front. So um, I almost felt duped. I have a secret. What? I felt the same way. I, I thought also, this book was his truth. I thought it was a biography, even though it clearly says a novel on the front. Um, and our kids pointed it out to us. It almost, okay, it almost reads like a diary. It does. I'm just glad that we didn't record a podcast already. That would have been oh, terrible. Can you Could you imagine? That would have been sad. <laughs> um, but I did because it, it didn't read like... Uh, like a story. It didn't. I think um, something that contributed to, to that was the time, the chronology. Okay. The timeline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, like I'm one dagger in. I'm such oh. a lightweight. I can smell alcohol and I can throw up. Oh, here. So here I am. Well, we gotta hurry. It's not what you're throwing up at my house. Okay. So the timeline was out of control. It was like... It was all over the place. Time hopping. And I actually really liked that about this book. I don't think this book would have had the same effect had it been in order. I think that hopping from... Hopping. Hopping from childhood to adult life to his mother's childhood and all over, anywhere in between, I think that had such a poetic effect on the whole book which the whole book was pretty much poetry it was it was those words were awesome and I'm it's nothing but praise for the book because of the way that he writes he's clearly a very talented poet and his words are awesome I feel like Ocean Vong could tell you a story about how he cleaned his house just the most mundane thing ever and it would be beautiful I think there's a there's a part in the book where he says something about a butterfly, and he says the butterfly tumbled across mm-hmm. the yard. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, like that's how butterflies fly. And I would have never thought to describe it like that. So he's just, he thinks differently than I do. Well, he says things that you already know, but you didn't realize that you thought like that because he describes things in a way that you're just like, yes, that makes perfect sense. And so, so pretty. He speaks. So pretty. He does. He speaks like you wrote with a quill. Okay, so this book's kind of hard to... Normally, we kind of give you a summary of what happened, and this book's really hard to do that. So I don't know how you did it, but I just picked a few parts that I really liked that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. So you want you want to tell me one of your favorite parts for our A part and noteworthy part? Or you want me to start? Go ahead. One of the parts... I guess we should give a little bit of background for the book, huh? Sure. Okay. So it's told from the perspective of... Ocean. No. Not Ocean because it's not an autobiography. Uh, That's right. Thank you for the reminder. It's it's written from the point of view of a A little dog. Named Little Dog. And he had kind of a tumultuous childhood. He lived with his mother and his grandmother. Dad wasn't really in the picture his mom worked at a nail salon. His grandmother was there a lot. He had a rough, kind of a rough childhood because he was Vietnamese in an American school. So he already kind of felt like an outsider. And then his mother seemed to have some kind of mental problems. Like uh, the grandmother, I think, kind of mentioned schizophrenia. 
Right. Did they min- did they say schizophrenia for the mom, or did they just kind of left that one open? I think they kind of opened it, left that to open it to interpret- interpretation. But I think it was kind of obvious that some there there was something going on. I think at one point the mom like grabbed a knife and told the little boy to run after she got mad at him. Like she was going to kill him with a knife. And he was 10. 10. He said he ran until he forgot he was 10. That's so sad. But it was very clear that they loved each other. It's just that's that's mental illness left unchecked. It doesn't mean that you don't love someone. It doesn't mean that they don't do things that are crazy. It just means that this happens and that you still care about each other. So his grandmother was married to a Vietnam vet, I guess. They married, you know. They a white man. A white man. They met whenever he was serving over there. Before that, she was a sex worker, mm-hmm. and he was a client. I don't think he was a client. Are, are he, she, are, I don't know if he was a client, but she no, had I, clients. She had clients. She, she met got, him in a bar. Right, and she got pregnant by, I assume, by a client. Yes. And he thought that it was his child, and come to find out it wasn't. I don't know if he even thought that. You don't? Do you think? Mm-mm. I don't you think, think so. he knew the whole time? Yeah. I think she was already four. It said she was already four months pregnant when they got married or whenever they met or something. Yeah, but I don't know if you can see that from, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. I was under the assumption that he didn't know for a while and then he did know. Um, Then he ends up having, he works on a Tabasco. Tabasco? Okay, he works at Avery Island. (laughs) Yeah, he works at a tobacco farm. Where he meets his first boyfriend, and his name is Trevor. They kind of have a crazy relationship also. Crazy. Crazy. And eventually, Little Dog gets out and goes to college, and he's kind of free of this town. So I think that's that's probably a good little background, huh? Yeah. It, I mean, and we'll probably talk about some other stuff. One of the parts that I thought it was a very tiny part, but really kind of stuck with me since I read it is an old lady comes into the nail salon where the mother is working and she has a prosthetic leg and she sits down and she wants to get a pedicure and she takes the prosthetic leg off. And you know, when you get a pedicure, how they kind of like massage your calf, they put lotion on, they massage your calf. Yeah. I hate nails. (laughs) You do? (laughs) You don't like people touching you. I don't like that. Um, you've that's never offensive. I don't like that. You've never liked. I hate a pedicure. I hate it. I will get them like when I absolutely need them, but they are not relaxing that entire time. I'm so uncomfortable. Intense. Oh my god! I cannot wait until it's over. <laughs> like people legit fall asleep around me, and I'm just like, uh, no. I always feel so bad because I don't like feet. And I always feel so bad that the people there have to touch so many feet every day. Because, you know, like, a pretty foot is hard to come by. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not, it's not. Feet are not cute. No, they're not. It's not like that. Okay, so the old lady takes off her prosthetic leg. And then she, she tells Little Dog's mom, I know this is going to sound crazy, but can you massage the other leg? But I swear I can feel it. So... Little Dog's mom, without even blinking an eye, just starts massaging the area where the leg should have been. Because I've heard of that. I've heard. Okay, we talked about that in The Witches of New York. The man has, he doesn't have an arm. And yes. that's kind of what gets him interested in ghosts is like the phantom 
feelings you can get. Yeah. A lot of us have probably felt our phones vibrate. Oh, yeah. That's happened to me. But it hasn't. And they call that phantom ringing. So you feel your phone ringing, like vibrating, and it's not actually ringing. So that's like a, that's probably the closest that. But then you swear. You swear you felt it. Swear you felt it. Or I even do it with, I have an Apple watch and it buzzes when anything happens. I will look at my watch because my watch buzzed and nothing happened. So it's like Um, phantom ringings. So little dog's mom massages this lady's where the leg should have been. And I thought that that was kind of foreshadowing because that's a really weird thing to ask someone. A normal person would be like, what are you talking about? She could tell she felt comfortable with her. Well, I thought it was kind of telling of how accepting the mother was. So later when he comes out as being gay, she pretty much does the same thing. She does say, are you going to start wearing dresses now? (laughs) Right. But... It was kind of foreshadowing of how she's pretty accepting of most things, even things that might sound crazy to other people. She's just like, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, then that's fine. Yeah. You know, like, I'll go along with it. So I think that's why that part, it actually took me a really long time to correlate those two. Like, it took my brain a second. (laughs) Right. But I think that's why I really liked it is because it kind of showed, yes, the mother was threatening his life at some point. She didn't think twice, hitting him in the face. But she also had this completely other side to her. One of the parts that I thought was memorable, I don't, I wouldn't say it was my favorite just because of what it was. Whenever she was saying how she had lost a child. And so she went into details about, at the hospital, they gave me a bottle of pills. I took them for a month to be sure. After a month, I was supposed to release it. Him, I mean. I wanted to leave to say stop, but the price of confessing, I learned, was that you get an answer. So she goes into how she, they rushed him back to the hospital, this time the ER. I felt some kick as they whirled me through the gray rooms, the chip paint on the walls. The hospital still smelled of smoke and gasoline from the war. With only Novocaine injected between your thighs, the nurses went in with a long metal instrument and just scraped my baby out of me like seeds from a papaya. And then little dog says... An act I had seen my mother perform countless times before, scraping yeah. the seeds out of a papaya. Yeah, and so it was just, it really like hit home to him, just what that, like the image of that. What his mom had been through. So she had, she already had this mental illness, and then she had gone through this traumatic experience of being forced to abort her child just because they were so poor they could barely feed themselves. So she was forced to abort her child. And then she gives the imagery of scooping the seeds out and how every time she scoops the seeds out, she's reminded oh, yeah. of this child that she's lost. It's, it's terrible. But he describes it in such a way that's just, it's like you're there. He's a really good writer. Very good, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another part I really liked was the Trevor poem. That whole poem is just kind of talking about Trevor and it's kind of talking about like his good parts and his bad parts, but it's, it's done in such a suspenseful way. I mean, I can't read you the poem. It's really long. You'd have to go find it, read it, whatever. The whole thing is so suspenseful that I swear, you know, whenever you're watching a scary movie and like something's like about to happen and Mm -hmm. the music starts getting like super suspenseful and you're like on the edge of your seat the words in that poem were doing that to me. Like, by the end of that poem, I were so knew, anxious. I knew Trevor was about to die. Oh, yeah. There he, was, like, there he was really no sets other... the scene. Yeah, that, that something bad was going to happen and that it wasn't going to end well. And he compared veal. Oh, there was the, like, yeah. 
it was almost like a comparison between Veal and Trevor and that Veal is like kind of taken care of until it's ready. It's not really allowed to move. And then at the end, Trevor was just completely against the idea of Veal. Trevor would never eat this. But the comparison of the way that Veal is prepared and Trevor was just so anxious. Like I could not wait to get done with that because it was like upsetting almost. And then right after that, you learn that Trevor overdoses on heroin. And that book does touch a lot on drug use that it was prevalent among like his friend groups. Yeah. I think he said he had had like seven or eight friends die. And he actually, he, he used drugs too. And one, one part of the book, he said, there was a war the man on TV said, but it's lowered now. Yeah, yeah, I think swallowing my pills. He just wouldn't do heroin. I think he had something yeah. about needles. Needles. But he would. He would smoke some pot. If you go online, you can probably Google Ocean Vong Trevor because it is its own separate poem. And read the poem just to get a sense of how Ocean Vong writes. And now, I know this is a novel, but I feel like Trevor's a real person, or at least he was based on a real person, a real relationship, or else Ocean Vong is just amazing at describing relationships. Like if he invented that relationship between Little Dog and Trevor based on no previous real life experiences, mm-hmm. like this man is a genius. Or just uh, just a bunch of his own relationships kind of combined into one. Maybe so. I, I read something on Instagram the other day. Writers, musicians, and authors feel more deeply because they have to convey emotion. Right. Okay. That makes and, sense. Right. I had never really thought about it before, but everyone I know that's kind of kind of artsy really does have like these, it seems like they have deeper emotions. So tell me about some favorite lines of, your, of the book. Okay. Well, my favorite line, I think I've told you this 12 times, was when they were leaving the mall and they hadn't bought anything, but it said our hands were empty except for our hands. They hadn't bought anything. Their hands were still full. They still had, they yeah, had each they other. they had each other. And that's, that's, that's all, all that, that mattered. That's, that was what they were after. I thought that was just so sweet. He does. There's so many one-liners in here that I've read over and over and over again because they're just so poetic and just... It's like you should see them on a canvas at Hobby Lobby. Oh, Hobby Lobby wishes. Like, you, like these are like just like something that should be taught at school um in one part he says let me stay here until the end i said to the lord and we'll call it even let me tie my shadow to your feet and call it friendship i said to myself like he's just 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 gives me chills just the things that he says he's definitely got a way with words he does I have one more part that I kind of want to talk about. Okay, at the end of the book, the grandmother dies and they go to Vietnam to bury her. He wakes up in the middle of the night and he goes for a walk as he has done throughout the entire book. Whenever he can't sleep, he gets up and he goes for a walk. So he comes to this one block and there's there's like a party going on. And he's like, well, this is weird. There's like kids running around. And then it says, in Saigon, the sound of music and children playing this late in the night is a sign of death or rather a sign of community attempting to heal. So if somebody dies 
in the night when I guess the coroner can't come get them, the entire community will chip in and kind of throw like a makeshift like celebration of life. And they will hire drag performers. They will have food and they'll all kind of have like a big block party and the body will be laid out and they'll have the mourners. And it says that the it's through the drag performers, explosive outfits and gestures, their overdrawn faces and voices, their tabooed trespass of ginger, ginger, <laughs> gender, <laughs> that this relief, their extravagant spectacle is manifest. As much as they are useful, paid and empowered as a vital service in a society where to be queer is still a sin, the drag queens are, for as long as the dead li- lie in the open, an othered performance. Their presumed reliable fraudulence is what makes their presence to the mourners necessary because grief at its worst is unreal and it calls for a surreal response. The queens in this way are unicorns, unicorns stamping in a graveyard. I thought that was so cool that that the whole community gets together and supports one another. It's like a distraction. Exactly. They needed a distraction. So they hire people that normally they wouldn't even, they would look down on. Especially drag queens. That's not... You know, right? Something that's respected. So they they hire these people to come and help them feel better and heal. And it's I think it's so cool that the drag queens are like on board for that. Like, let me take care of you. Like, let me. What can I do to help you? And the whole community gets together. The kids are running around. It's just such a crazy. It's hard to picture. It is hard to picture, and it's almost like I want to see there, although that would probably, probably be really disrespectful. But, like, I kind of want to, like, be a fly on the wall for this and, yeah. and see and watch it. It just seems like a an experience. It definitely does seem like an experience. It was something that I didn't know, and it was something that was really cool to kind of think about. So, would you recommend the book? Okay. Uh-oh. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> what I think is that everyone should read this. I think that it is so beautifully written. I think that it's important to hear people's perspective that is not similar to your own. So it's important to go out of your way to find different perspectives. But I think that you'd have to be in the right state of mind to receive this well. Now, given we are in Southern Louisiana, I'm not just going to go into the Exxon station and suggest to the guy behind me, you should read on earth. We're briefly gorgeous because I, I don't know if he would be ready for it okay. yet, uh-huh. but I do think it's important to read other people's opinions that are different from you. People that are a different color than you, people that are a different sexuality than you, people that are a different religion than you. Oh yeah. So I want to recommend it to everyone. However, I don't think that everyone would receive it well. I agree. I want everyone to experience it, but I don't know that everyone would embrace it the way that I have. I mean, I know people personally that would be like, well, I don't get it. Why did he say that? Yeah. And I don't think that these are stupid people. I just think that poetry is not for everyone. Like, I honestly, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give this to my husband to read. I don't think that my husband would think that it was as beautifully written as I do. And another thing with this book is that I kind of had to marinate in it. It wasn't a book that I could read quickly and it's only like 250 pages. I thought that I was going to like fly through this book, but it kind of takes reading and rereading and sometimes reading a paragraph and setting it down. Oh, I, I did that. It, I mean, I, when I got the book in, I was like, oh, I'm going to read this in a weekend. And it literally took me like three weeks. First of all, 
this book also made me feel a little bit stupid. You read the book and one of the first things you told me was, oh, you started reading it before me. Mm -hmm. You said, oh my gosh, this book makes me feel so smart. And so I started reading it and then I was like, oh shit, this book makes me feel really stupid (laughs) because it was like I had to read a part and kind of think on it and kind of like put it together. There's not a lot of hand holding. So sometimes you do have to put things together. There's a lot of metaphors Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's a lot of comparisons, but not direct comparisons. So there's a lot of thinking on it. So that that's why I say I had to read it, reread it, set the book down, think about it, come back to it. And I didn't mind it. I liked it because I I just thought that it was so beautifully written. It was. It was it was beautiful. And I'm I'm so appreciative when people can express themselves and write like this because there's no way I can't write like this. So I'm always so like in awe of someone that can not only get their feelings across, but also get it across so beautifully. Right. That they're not afraid. It's a very vulnerable book. It's an extremely vulnerable book. So when when I read this, and look, again, going back to I feel real stupid. For a long time, thought this was a memoir. thought this was his personal sure. truth. Yeah, right. I thought, there's no way I can rate this. Because if this is, it's like reading someone's diary and then being like, mm, two stars. Yeah. You know, like there's no way that <laughs> you, okay. like, is your diary, yeah. like, how is, who's you somebody else? You review my thoughts. Right. So now that I realize it's a novel, <laughs> I think that I would give this. Two stars. <laughs> no, I would give it four stars. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would probably give it four Maybe four and a half. Yeah, I'm not yeah. about those half stars. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. But I do, I would, because it's not, again, it's not something I would. Now, writing-wise, I would give it five stars. But it's not, you know, when you have five stars, you would recommend it to everybody. I would not recommend this book to everybody. But, you know, um, another book that you really liked was The Four Winds that we recently did. Would you recommend that to everybody? Would you recommend that to Landon? No. So. No. But I don't know if you give that one five stars either. No. I think that uh, that star guide that I recently found that I decided to go by, Mm -hmm. I think it said five stars is would own the book, recommend the book, and revisit the book. And I'm not one to go back and reread a book, but I actually might go back and reread this one. So I'm wondering if like maybe I should give it five stars. Because there's, I have so many, I have so many parts in here that are highlighted. So I'm not saying I would go back and probably read the whole book, but I would definitely go back and just like pick up the book and kind of like reread all my highlights. Because I mean, there's, it's, it's hard to find, to open the book and not find a part that's highlighted in here. Mm-hmm. That's not highlighted? Yes. Yeah. Did I say that wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, so I wanted to read Roxanne on Goodreads gave kind of a little bit of a long review, but Mm -hmm. I thought that it was absolutely perfect. It says, there's so many lines that gutted me or exhilarated me or stunned me. I wanted to sit with each line and just feel it as deeply as I could. The intimacy of this novel as a letter between a son and a mother was poignant. That said, I didn't just fall in love with the book. The prose was perhaps too beautiful, too resonant, without enough story behind it. And I agree with that. There wasn't, mm-hmm. it didn't really to me like read like a novel. It did read more like poems. Almost like a book of poems with a little bit of like story. I wanted more about his mom. I did want more about his mom. I was, that's why I liked the part with Trevor because I felt like that was more of like an actual novel. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of that was written to where there was story behind. I think that was like the, the chunk. Well, the media descriptive. Medias, it was hard to believe that it wasn't real. Right. That was like the media's part of the story. Was mm-hmm. I mean, The stuff with his mom. That was, was definitely the media's. Roxanne goes on to say the part about not enough story behind it. That's a personal preference, does the desire for story. As I got deeper into the novel, I kept wanting a clearer sense of where the story was going, and I wanted to feel like there was more substance to hold all that style. I do still recommend this novel because I've never read anything like it. And I, like, 100% agree with her on pretty much everything. Yeah. No, I do, too. I couldn't write a better review. I mean, I would. I wanted more story, but even though there wasn't as, enough story or as much story as I would have liked, it was. there's still not another book like it. You know what I wanted was, I felt like the parts about him as a kid and his mom were incomplete, but I felt like that went with however old old he was as a kid. So like if you think back on memories as a child and you were to write an experience about it, about what was happening then, not what you know now was mm-hmm. happening, then it would also be the same. But I kind of wanted more of a story afterwards. So he grows up and moves away. He goes to college and then Trevor dies and he comes home for the funeral. So you know that there's an adult aspect to the story and I wish that there had been some tying of ends with the mom. Yeah. You know, the grandmother dies and they they go to Vietnam and they bury her and Trevor dies and he comes home and he buries him. But And he doesn't really like tie up loose ends with the mom as saying like, oh, but we're good now. You know, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing like that. It just ends. Yeah. It never really talks about his mom and like what, what went on with her and where they were. Or where she was. It seems like the mom and the grandmother lived together. Mm-hmm. Just the two of them. All right. So... Tell me about your mug. So my mug is two people holding, yeah, two people holding hands, <laughs> interracial couple holding hands. You can tell they're from different backgrounds. And uh, that's what I pictured Trevor and, and little dog. But I also kind of saw that as his mom and him mm-hmm. because they were different. I, I think it could almost be anyone, any two characters in the book. It really could. The grandmother and him. Right. It could be the grandfather and him. The grandfather and the grandmother. Yeah. And their hands are empty except for their hands? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I picked a mug with flowers on it because the grandmother in the book, her birth name was actually the number of her birth order. So I think her name was like seven or Mm. six or something when she was born. But as she got older, she renamed renamed herself Lon, which means orchid. And then whenever she had Little Dog's mother, she ended up naming her Rose. So she named herself and her daughter after flowers. So I picked a mug with flowers to represent the mother and the grandmother. I know, and I like your mug too. It's, It's a mug that I would have just at home. So what's our next book? Okay, our next book is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And it's good so far. It's good. I'm on a husband. I just started husband number. No, I just got done with husband number two. Mm -hmm. So I'm about to start husband number three. And I'm just starting husband number two. It's a fast read. Yeah, I know it is. I started reading that whenever my husband was watching Squid Games because I can't understand (laughs) what they're saying. Oh, God. But I do, so far, so good. So I'm excited to talk about this this next one because it's it's good so far. I can tell you that On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous is, I can't say enough good things about it. However, I know myself and I know that if I were to read another book like this directly afterwards, I would find myself going, 
my mood going down the drain. I would, yeah. You know, like I know what I need. I can't listen to a bunch of sad songs in a row. I can't read a bunch of sad books in a row. I need happiness in between to kind of like raise my spirits up. So I think Seven Husbands is exactly what I need after this gorgeous but also slightly depressing book. It was. It was very gorgeous and kind of a mood killer. <laughs> but it was very good. So thank you, Veronica, for recommending that book to us because... It, we wouldn't have picked that on our own. I, I this have. was completely not on my radar. Not something that I would have even looked at twice. That's why I'm kind of glad. That's one of my favorite things about us doing this podcast is that you pick books that I would not pick on my own. Mm -hmm. And I know that you don't like the books that I read. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like this one you picked. The Evelyn Hugo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's because she's not like a fairy or like a wizard. That we know of. Oh, gosh. Look, if she puts a spell on anybody or if she turns into a witch, I'm I'm out. So far, she's put her spell on at least three men. All right. You can find us on Twitter at TalkShitterture, Facebook and Instagram at TalkinShitterture, and you can email us at TalkinShitterture at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Oh yeah? Uh-huh. She does. She's like those um those cats with yeah. the six fingers. She has What are those called? They're called like Hemingway, Hemingway cats. Yeah.